0: Others of you today, as we get into this, you're, you're thinking, okay, I'm ready. I've got kids. I, I, there's some things I, I want to know. That's why I'm here. Let's, let's dig in. But I want to acknowledge there's a few of you here that um, you're at a different stage. Your kids are, are grown. Um, some of you, your kids are out of the house. Some of you, your kids have kids of their own. And you might be wondering, what in the world am I doing here at a, a series on parenting when I'm not actively... Well, listen... They might get older. They might move out. Um, They might have kids of their own, but speaking as a guy who has one that's gotten older and has moved out and no kids of her own yet, but listen, the task changes, but it doesn't go away. Um, That struggle is just as real as my everyday struggle with the little ones that are home. And so you know that as well as I do, and we'll be addressing that a little bit during this series as well. Also talking to you grandparents and figuring out how do you come alongside um, your parents that are actively parenting, and what does that look like, and how do you navigate it? So there's something here for us. And and then I want to address another group of you that either don't have children yet, um, and you're like, okay, well, you know, I'm not there yet. And some of you that, that just, frankly, are past the age of having children and you didn't have children and you're not going to have children. And so you're sitting here and you're thinking, what is there for me in all of this? And I want, to, I want to encourage you to walk through this with us for two really clear reasons. One is, it's the Word of God, and the Word of God matters, and the Word of God has something for you, I can guarantee you that. So there is something here for you, I promise you, even if you don't actively have children, because it's God's Word. It's authoritative. It's clear. It's engaging. It changes us. It's, it's directive for us. It's real. It's active. Okay, There's something for you. And two, here's the other thing I need you to understand about this. When you're here with this church, you're not an individual. You're part of the greater body, the body of Jesus Christ. And the body of Jesus Christ has children, um, and it has parents that struggle and that worry about this. And, and you are a part of that body, and, and that means that you're a part of this, and you need to be actively involved in the raising of a new generation. And so we're going to navigate this together, and, and, and I think we're going to see that, but, but here's the deal. Some of you are thinking that you were sold this false bill of goods. Somewhere along the line, here's what happened. You got married, and people started asking you, when are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? I mean, like some of you, Like, if you're my wife and I have been married, like, a week, and people are asking you, when are you going to have kids? Uh, When are you going to start having kids? Like, we've been married a week. Let's back off a second. You know, Carrie and I celebrated our first anniversary driving our newly adopted 10-year-old to a pumpkin patch. Like, a way to celebrate your first anniversary with Carrie being a good six months pregnant because people kept asking, when are you going to have kids? We're like, fine, we'll have kids. We'll have one. We'll adopt another one. Are you happy now? And, and they weren't. They wanted you to have more. And, and then like the really holy religious ones would tell you this. Well, listen, the Bible says in Psalm 127 that children are a gift from the Lord. They are reward from him. And then they go even a step further. It's like, because, I mean, that's not convicting enough. It's like, children, born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand, right? How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them? (sighs) Now, listen to me. Some of you, you're reading that and you're like, yep, that's true. Mm Mm-hmm stop listening to me for a second if that's you (laughs) others of you you're reading that and going look I I know God's not wrong ever but come on listen and I, I know you don't really think that I don't really think that right I mean we love our kids we love our grandkids. We love our kids. I, no matter how messy and nasty and gross they are, we love our kids. It doesn't mean, though, that for one second we're ever confused thinking it's going to be easy. Listen, if you're, if you're I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this. You, you, you've heard me talk to you about Carrie and I's struggles as a young married couple before. And I'm going to tell you this. The absolute worst time in our marriage... The absolute worst time in our marriage. Well, maybe that's not... We'll have to rank these sometime just for fun. (laughs) Things are awesome. This was a while ago. But the absolute worst time in our marriage was when Travis was a newborn. Because everybody told you how great it's going to be. How fantastic it is. How awesome children are. And then all of a sudden, you have this baby... And it stops being this cool idea, and it starts being this whining, pooping, crying thing that they make you take home. And you don't sleep, and you keep score, and you're angry, and you're irritable, and you snap at each other, and those things that you saw other people do and you said, not us, Uh uh-uh, we're not going to act like that, you start acting like that. It's hard, and it it doesn't necessarily get easier. It's like a roller coaster. There are seasons where things level out, and then there are seasons where they spike up again. We got a 10-year-old girl at home. You know what we're on right now? We're on that part of the roller coaster that's slowly climbing, slowly. And you know, it's like, okay, well, this is nice and relaxing, but you're about to get to the top. (laughs) And you know what happens when you get to the top, right? Some of you have been there. Some of you will be there. Some of you are there at different stages. But listen to me. The struggle for this is real. Okay? So there's something I want you to know here. There's a big idea that we're going to start with. Don't panic. You got to stop panicking. If somebody, and this is, this is the thing. You know what? I, I make an effort when I'm talking to parents of newborns now. I make an effort to say to them, even if they're not sharing their struggle with me, I, I, I just you know what, i I, not like passing in the hallway, like, hey, just so you know, my wife and I almost got divorced when our kids were little. (laughs) But when we have conversation, I make sure, listen, don't panic. It's going to be okay. Why? Because God's grace will always trump your issues. God's grace will always trump your issues. God's grace will beat your shortcomings. Okay, you've messed up, hey, me too. Right? Your parents messed up, hey, mine too. It's gonna be all right. We're gonna learn to navigate what God has to say about this, and we're gonna try to put some of those things into effect. Don't for one second think it's too late for you if you haven't done some of these things already, or if you didn't grasp some of these things already. Don't even think that if your parents or if your kids are grown and out of the house. Don't. Listen when you seek to follow and honor God in your life, he responds to that, okay? God's grace will trump our goofiness, okay? So let's, let's dig in here as we go. And there's, but the reason we do it is simply this, because it is much simpler to raise God-honoring children than to fix broken adults. It just is right? That's not meant to poke at anybody. That's not meant to to give you some discouragement. If you're thinking about your adult children right now, that's not at all what that is. It's just a simple statement of fact. It is easier to raise children than it is to build children. It's easier to pour into children than it is to repair broken adults, okay? And uh, listen, I get it, okay? Uh, But this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to navigate this together. So we're going to dig in Okay. And we're going to start here uh, in the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to see what God has to say about raising children. But before we get to Deuteronomy chapter six, I want to ask you to think of a question. Here's the question. What are the things we want most for our kids? Just in your, your kids, your grandkids, uh, the kids of friends of yours, if you don't have your own, but think in your head, what are the things that you want most for your kids? That's not a new question. That question has been asked um, time and time again. Pick a parenting magazine. uh, Pick, a a, you know, at different schools with teachers or counselors across the nation and all over the place. This question is always answered, and there are some good common answers. Here are the common answers. When we say, what are the things that we want most for our kids? Well, here's the common answers. We want them to be happy, right? We want our kids to be happy. Depressed kids are hard to deal with. Man, if you've ever had a kid who's perpetually sad, that's hard it, for a parent to figure out what, what... That's hard, right? We want our kids to be happy. We want them to have friends. You know what? It's important to us that our kids be liked. I shouldn't say we want them to have friends. We want them to have the choice of friends. It's important for us that our kids be liked, right, that, that our, our kids are thought well of by other people. That's, I mean, that's fair. We want, them to, we want them to feel good about themselves. We want them to have high self-esteem. We want them to be successful. We don't want them coming back and living in our basement. If any of you live in your parents' basement, I'm sorry, that was a cheap shot. Might be time to reevaluate some things. That's unfair, I don't know you, let's move on, right? We want them to be moral, we want them to be good people, and we want them to have a family if they choose. That's why we start asking them right away, when are you having those kids? When do I get my grandkids? What's happening? And those are fine things. Listen, there's nothing on that list that's bad to want for your children, but here's what I'm gonna challenge you with here this morning. See, intellectually, you know that list is incomplete. But gut check time, if those are the things that you want most for your kids, then you're missing something. Because here's the deal. I could ask any room of people what they want most for their kids, and that's going to be the list. I could go um, to um, a mosque and ask people that are this morning practicing Islam, hey, what do you want most for your kids? Okay, I I could ask atheists who don't believe in God at all, what do you want most for your kids? That's what their list looks like. I could ask um, Buddhists or or Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. I could ask any number of people, what is it you want most for your kids? And this is going to be what the list looks like. The problem with that is that it's woefully incomplete for those of us that follow Jesus Christ. And it's woefully incomplete for those of us that follow Jesus Christ because we ought to know better. We just ought to know better. Because what we've said when we decided to follow God, when we decided to follow Jesus Christ and submit and obey Jesus Christ, that's the gospel in a nutshell, by the way. I'm sinful. God is perfect. Okay, God wants me to be in a relationship with him. He sends Jesus Christ, okay, who voluntarily lays down his life, so that my sin can be forgiven. He rises from the dead. I trust him, and I submit to him, and God says, good, your sin is paid for. Christ's righteousness is given to you. We are in a new relationship. You are a new creation. That means I live this life with purpose, and I live this life with passion, and I live this life about the kingdom, and I live a life that matters and makes a difference. And oh yeah, by the way, I live an eternal life with God. That's a big deal. That ought to be your number one for your children. As Christian parents, our ultimate goal, more than anything else, is that our kids grow to love Jesus more than they love anything else in their life. That's the goal. As a Christian parent, raising your children, the number one thing, the thing that beats everything else, whether they're good at sports... I want my kids to be good at sports. You know why? Because I don't want to have to be embarrassed when I go to the games. (laughs) I'm serious. I I love Travis, and he is great at baseball now. But when when he was eight and he was playing baseball, and he's hitting the ball, and then he's standing there watching it, you're like, hey, buddy, run. You're hanging your head. You're like, serious? Okay, listen, we want them to be good at that stuff. We want them to be successful. We want them to have friends. We want them to be happy. We want to talk to them and say, how was your day? And we want them to say, it was fantastic. And that's great. But you know what? And this is where it's gut check for me. You know what I need to want more than I want that? And sometimes I don't. Sometimes that's all I want for my kids. That's what I pray for for my kids, if you can believe that ridiculousness. But you know what I need to want for my kids? I need to want for them to love Jesus Christ more than they love their own lives. I need for them to want Jesus more than they want to be good at sports, more than they want to know how to play the guitar. I need them to love Jesus more than they love having a friend to spend the night with on a Friday night. That's my job. Okay? That's necessary as we get into this. And and it's hard, but God talks about this. So let's get into Deuteronomy. We're going to look at chapter 6, verses 1 through 9 here, and we're going to navigate through this together. You can look on the screen or you can follow along with me. Here's what we say. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. First things first there. Okay, again, we've talked about this before. This isn't Moses. This is Moses writing this. Moses isn't just throwing some things out there, reminding you, hey, how cool am I that I can tell you what to do? He's telling you, here are the things that God has commanded. I'm sharing them with you, but these are God's commands. This is what God says. And this gets a little tricky here in these first few verses to to really navigate. We're not going to spend a ton of time because this isn't really what we're doing today. But we'll give you some context. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and your grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely. Listen closely there has, in the original language, in the Hebrew, has this idea of lean in, okay? look at me. I mean, This is Moses basically saying, look, make some eye contact here. Let's make sure we get this. Lean in. Listen closely. Here's how he finishes. Be careful to obey. Then, because of your obedience, all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, your God of your ancestors, promised you. Okay, so we're just going to really quickly drill down on this first three verses. This is basically um, Moses reminding us of what God has said. And God has said one thing here. And basically, we can think of it in one of two ways. One is, okay, blessing requires obedience. Okay, now, in my book, if you think about it that way, um, then uh, then maybe you have a very stern picture of God. And it's fine if you have a stern picture of God. We have different pictures of God. A very stern picture of God would tell you, think about it like um, a teacher in a classroom. teacher in a classroom that's very, you know, straight-laced, no-nonsense, nose to the grindstone, you know, kind of not the... Listen, obedience results in blessing. Obey, and something good might happen because of it. Okay, and so we get, we get that. It's like, it's like, you know, that's it. But I, I want you to see it differently. I want you to see what God's sharing here differently. What God's basically saying is, look, look, look! don't think of it as like, well, you know, you better obey so I can bless you. But think about it this way. It's, it's, it's like blessing is the result of doing what you were naturally made to do. Think of it that way. God says, look, I know what's right for you. How does he know what's right for us? Well, he creates us. He's our father. This is all his framework. And he says, I know what's best for you. So when you do what's best for you, that's where the natural blessings will flow from. Remember, we talked about this way back when we did the Ten Commandments series. It's like the fence. Think of it like a fence. You don't put a fence in your backyard so that you can restrict your children. You put a fence in your backyard so that they can run free in the backyard and they can play and they can experience your best for them. Because you know, you know that the street is dangerous right? You know the dog next door might not be the safest. But you know what you do know? You do know that in the safety of the confines of what you have set up in the construct that they can run free and experience all the blessings that there are to have. That's what God is saying here. Okay, that's what God's saying here. He's saying, look, 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 look. You are about to go into this land that I've promised you. When you go into the land, I promised you obey and fear the Lord. Do these things because when you do, you'll experience all of the blessings that we can pour out. All of the blessings that were designed for you to enjoy, you'll enjoy. Parents, that is your job for your kids. Okay, but God says this and and he says by the way, he says something here that we hate. We hate this idea of fearing the Lord. Okay? We hate to think about fearing the Lord. It's because we have a wrong idea of what fear is, so let's just touch on this briefly. Listen, when you you hear fear the Lord, Old Testament style, you're not talking like the wrath of God, kind of, oh, fear the wrath of God, although that's part of it that we'll deal with. Okay, but what you're really hearing when you think fear the Lord, when you read fear the Lord, is have reverence and respect and honor for the Lord. Parents, this is the same thing we say to our kids when we tell our kids, look, you may not be happy with my decision, but you must respect it. You may not be happy with what I just said, but you're going to follow through with it. And you're not going to follow through with it begrudgingly, and you're not going to follow through with it pouting and whining. That's not good enough. You're not going to stomp up to your room and slam your door and expect me not to say anything. Okay? It's the same kind of thing. We're thinking reverence here. Okay? And to fear the Lord is simply to see God as God and to know that he's a God that loves you and cares for you and pours grace on you. And there is another aspect to that that we don't have to talk about a whole lot because as Christians, we don't have to deal with that. If you're here today and you know Christ, then this Hebrews 10 31 doesn't apply to you. But here's what it says. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God, right? And I'm going to tell you this, that is a terrible thing. That's something to fear. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hey, good news. You trust Christ, you don't need to fall into the hands in that fearful way of the living God. You know why Jesus paid that penalty? That's what we want for our kids, right? So we teach them to fear the Lord reverently, to obey, to follow that, so that they don't have to fear falling into the hands of the Lord. Are you tracking that? I hope so, because that's critical. That's our number one goal is teaching our kids to love Jesus, okay? All right, we continue. Uh, We get into Deuteronomy 6 four and five, we, we keep going. And here, you know this part. This is the one everybody knows in this, che- in this text. Um, here's what it says. It says, listen, O Israel, uh, the, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Jesus repeats this commandment in Matthew. Remember the Pharisees trying to trick him come and they say, hey, Jesus, you're so smart. You tell us what's the greatest commandment, okay? What's the best commandment? And Jesus says, well, you know, the best commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, um, and this says your, your, your mind, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, so we add both of those because one is the Greek context and one is the Hebrew context, but they mean the same thing. He says, love the Lord your God with everything that you have, and oh, by the way, Jesus adds the second one, love your neighbor as yourself, okay? But it starts with this, so, so, so think about what, what Moses is reminding the people. They're sitting there, this is where we are in, in history. They've wandered for 40 years. This is Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the second law. Remember, they came, they got, yay, it's the Ten Commandments. There was a golden calf. There was bad stuff, but they ended up, they got to Kadesh Barnea. They're getting ready to go in the Promised Land. They send in the 12 spies. The 12 spies freak out. Actually, 10 of them freak out. Okay? Caleb and Joshua are like, yeah, let's go. We can take this. God will do it. But everybody else freaks out and they disobey God. And so as a consequence, they wander for 40 years in the wilderness and they get back right where they were 40 years, 39 years ago, I guess. They get right back where they were, and now Moses, because it's a new generation, because all those people that wouldn't listen, they all died while they wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness, and so now their kids are here, and they're adults now, and they've got their own kids and grandkids. And so... so Moses is giving them a second reading of the law. That's what Deuteronomy is, second law. And he's telling them, okay, look, you're about to go into this land now. You're about to go into the land that God promised a really long time ago. Okay? Don't mess it up this time. Don't mess it up this time. Right? Fear God. Do what He says. When you fear God and do what He says, it's gonna go really well for you. And so listen, lean in, Israel, hear this. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have more than you love anything else, more than you love stuff, more than you love accolades, more than you love prizes and possessions, more than you love honor, more than you love anything else. Love the Lord your God with everything you have, with your heart which is your being, with your strength, your behavior, your actions, with your mind, with the thoughts that you have, all of it. Love God more than you love anything else. It's simple. It's not complicated. We get this, right? So this is the call. This is do it with your knowledge. Do it with your belief. Do it with your behavior. And then he gets to this last part here uh, that we'll look at together. And this is, this is one that simply says this. And he says, and oh, by the way, don't just do it yourself, okay? but you commit yourselves wholeheartedly to that. Loving God with everything you have, your heart, soul, mind, your strength. You love God with everything you have. Commit yourself wholeheartedly to that and then repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road. Talk about them when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So we see two practical things there that we're going to ferret out. You say, okay, Matt, I know I'm supposed to love God with everything I have. Okay. And I know I'm supposed to teach it to my children. How do I do it? Well, look, there's two practical things here that we're going to see. One is you commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Parents, I need you to hear me. Okay. Matt Hance, I need you to hear yourself. right. I'm with you on this. Here's the deal. You don't have to be perfect. Your kids don't actually expect you to be perfect. It's impossible. They may get mad at you when you mess up, but deep down they know you're not perfect. They won't get irritated at you when you're not perfect. They don't need you to be perfect. But what you absolutely can't be is a hypocrite. Your kids aren't stupid my kids aren't stupid as a kid i was not stupid well i was foolish but i wasn't dumb listen to me well think about it this way when i'm sitting at the table and we're having dinner and it's carrie and aubrey and travis and 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 myself and there's brussels sprouts and I say, mmm, Brussels sprouts are so good. And they're really good for you. Everybody, enjoy your Brussels sprouts. And then I take my fork and I move mine around my plate a little bit. And then I touch one to my tongue. Mmm, there's no part of my kids that are confused. Right? Think about it with babies, right? You got the strained peas and you're like, mmm, yummy. And you're like, they're like, nah, I ain't open my mouth for that. Because they know better. They know better. They know when you fake it. And so let me give you, think about it this way. There, there's a, um, uh, oh, that's gone. I got backup. Seminary professor in uh, Texas used this illustration. So it's not mine, but, but he's used it and, and um, I thought really, really helped. Clear this up, and it's really about dads, but moms, you don't have to imagine much um, to, to think about it being about you as well. And so, there's three chairs, okay? Um, and and this, this represents dad. And the first chair is dads that love Jesus. And I mean, they love Jesus. They love Jesus more than they love their life. They love Jesus with everything they have. Jesus to them is more important than their bank account is more important than their hobbies. Jesus is more important than their job. Jesus is more important um, than their, their friends. Jesus is the most important thing. And when you're in the first chair, dads, again, moms, you can, you can imagine yourself there too. When, when Jesus is in the first chair, we get the picture, okay, that they would do anything for Jesus. These people, by the way, if we're not sitting in this first chair these people annoy us to no end, right? If you have been in your life at some point in time, not a first chair, I love Jesus, I'll do anything for Jesus, and you're hanging out with somebody that is, oh, we hate that. We really hate that. You know why we hate that? Because it's like holding a mirror up. And so we see what it's supposed to look like when we love Jesus and what it really could look like. And you know, what we, well, you know what we end up doing? We end up shaming these people almost sometimes. Like, you guys, you need to calm down. Simmer down. And then we pull out these, like, you know what? You're doing more harm than good. You talking about Jesus all the time does more harm than good. It's better for people like me that say we love Jesus, but act like we don't. And then people will say, oh, you say you love Jesus. I want to get to know you, and then you can tell me about Jesus. So we get mad at these people for acting like they say they believe. They love Jesus. They act like they love Jesus. Second chair dads, um, these are people that say they love Jesus. And they probably do. They probably really love Jesus. The problem is, they don't love Jesus more than they love other stuff. So they'll talk about loving Jesus. They'll tell you they love Jesus. They'll share Jesus maybe. But when you look at their life, Jesus isn't priority. And then the third chair dads, they don't give a flip about Jesus. They never have. They don't claim to. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. They're not going to talk about Jesus. They're not going to share Jesus. So Jesus has nothing to do with their life, their parenting, anything. Nothing. Okay? Now listen to me not trying to poke at anybody, and I know some of you have adult children that maybe have strayed away. We actually will deal with prodigals later in this series. I'm not trying at all to poke. I'm just telling you the way it is, and this is not a hard and fast rule, okay? This is not a hard and fast rule at all. This is just trends, but they are trends, so we do need to deal with these, okay? By and large, first-chair dads, Who love Jesus and show that they love Jesus, and it shows up in their life that they love Jesus. First-chair dads raise kids that love Jesus. Makes sense, doesn't it? They've heard it, they've experienced it, they've grown up in it, and they've wrestled with it. First-chair dads raise kids that love Jesus. This isn't hard to figure out either. Third-chair dads, guess what they raise? They raise third-chair kids third-chair dads that don't care about Jesus, that don't talk about Jesus, that don't want anything to do with Jesus, they raise kids that don't care about Jesus. Sure they do. And that's not to say it's hopeless for those kids. Not to say it's hopeless for those kids at all. But this is, by and large, this is the reality, is that these kids will get to adulthood not caring one little bit about Jesus. Okay? By the way, it's why college ministry is so important. Okay? But we'll, another time. Here's where it gets tricky. So first-chair dads raise first-chair kids, third-chair dads raise third-chair kids. And so you would think, well, by and large, Matt, doesn't it make sense that second-chair dads raise second-chair kids? No. Because if there's one thing kids hate, it's a hypocrite. Second-chair dads, by and large, raise third-chair kids. Because hypocrisy breeds contempt. just does. If you preach at your kids, dads that preach at their kids, moms that preach at their kids, Jesus, 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 Jesus is important. Jesus deserves our best. Maybe we'll go to church today. But we were out late last night and maybe we're tired, so maybe we'll skip it. But Jesus deserves our best. We honor Jesus with everything we've got. Except this week, because we're saving up. You know, prayer is critically important. God answers prayer. We haven't prayed together as a family in months. You go to church. It's important for you. I'm going to stay home and watch football. But I'll drop you off. hypocrisy breeds contempt second chair dads moms you're not out of the woods raise third chair kids there are exceptions to that rule okay be honest with you i'm one of them right my mom had a plaque on her wall for a long time prayer changes things like mom when was the last time i saw you pray church is really important Except you quit going. You know, it's really important to believe in Jesus. Hey, Mom, I got saved at church today. Whew, you got to be really careful. They convince you that you need something you don't need sometimes. Now, I can say that happily, um, seeing my mom and dad both come to faith later in life. Um, I remember my mom's baptism as I was a, a married adult with kids and, and, and being a part of her baptism. I actually was there the Sunday um, that she decided enough was enough and gave her life to christ and and then seeing my dad um, a little bit later on make that decision and, and follow and now is um, every once in a while I get to read the uh, he, he serves three times a month actually once a week now he serves at a, at a men 's mission um, dinner for for homeless folks and uh, he always gives the devotional when he goes and so occasionally he 'll send it to me and ask me to read it and so can I, can I read the devotion and the gospel that he 's going to share so i I, I mean they 've come a long way but but By and large, this is the way it works. And so here's what you can't say, Christian parent. You can't say that it's important to me that we're gonna love Jesus above all else, that Jesus is primary, that I'm gonna love Jesus above all else, and then not act like it. Your kids are gonna pick up on that. And that's how this starts. Okay, it doesn't start with this grand thing about parenting, about raising kids that love Jesus more than anything else. Starts with a look in the mirror. It says this, it says, hey, you must commit yourself. Wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. You commit yourself first. You love Jesus. You love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You do that first before you think about doing anything else because everything else is hypocrisy and everything else will fall flat. And if you're here today and you're having to rework your parent mission statement, which isn't, I want my kids to be happy, healthy, successful, and popular. But instead, your mission statement is, I want my kids to love Jesus more than they love anything else. Step one of that, fundamentally, is you need to love Jesus more than you love anything else. That's not me. That's what God says through Moses, shared in Deuteronomy 6.6, 6, and you must commit, must. Boy, I hate the word must, right? doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room, does it? You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to the teaching that I've given you. What was that teaching? We just read at the verse before. You love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You love God with everything you have. Then and only then are you in a position to parent your children to love Jesus. The other thing that we pull out of here not only is it that we need to do that, but that we need to be intentional with our kids. That's the other practical... I skipped some slides here. I'm sorry. Let's catch up. That's the other practical application. you got to spend intentional time with your kids. Okay? How do you... Expect, I mean, what does it say? It says talk to them. When you get up and when you go to bed, you talk about this stuff. That's intentional. That's a bookend on the day, man. Hey, when you walk and when you sit at the table, <laughs> kind of covers the basis of your activity, right? When you're up and doing stuff, when you're sitting down, you're talking about Jesus. So when you get up... When you sit down, when you go do stuff, when you go to bed, we're talking about Jesus. Gospel-centered parenting. We're sharing Jesus. We spend time doing these things. And then I love this. It says, write it on the door frame. I mean, you could actually write it on the door frame if you wanted to. I mean, maybe not a bad reminder. Um, I knew a family once that did that when I worked in an elementary school um, that stenciled this on their door. Um, thing is, they never talked about Jesus. But darn if they had it on their door. It was awesome. Whatever. But what this means is it covers your... You you write it on the doorpost. It covers everything that happens in your home. Everything that happens in your home is about this thing. So, listen, let's get real here. What activity... Some of your kids are involved in way too much. My kids might be involved in way too much. There's some things to navigate there, but, but... This idea, this mission statement for parents, this drives every decision we make as parents. What are are you involved in? Who are you involved with? Where are you going? What are you doing? How are we spending our time together? What are we about? All of this is, is about this. It covers everything. And you have to be intentional in time with your kids. Listen, we've talked about this before. People spell intimacy differently. Right? Men... We spell intimacy S-E-X. By and large, that's the way it works. Women, wives, you spell intimacy um, T-A-L-K. That's how you do it. It's okay. We've talked about that before. You go back and listen to some of our marriage series if you need more info on that, but that's the way it works. Kids spell intimacy whether... Sometimes they get all bristly and they don't want to... T-I-M-E. It's time. Kids equate time with intimacy intentional time with your kids. You cannot teach them about matters of faith. You cannot grow them up in the gospel if you're not willing to spend intentional time with them. And some of you do what I do and you spend time with your kids without spending time with your kids. Like, I mean, if I go to the family movie night, well, one more time, I'm going to punch myself in the face. Can we have a family game night? No, let's watch a movie. So we don't have to talk and we can just sit and stare at the TV together. <laughs> Let's all watch Back to the Future again, which there's nothing wrong with watching Back to the Future. Okay, It's good. But this is how we do it. But we spend intentional time. Okay, You want to raise kids that love Jesus more than anything else, then you love Jesus more than you love anything else. And two, you put in the time. You spend time, emotional, connected time. You play games together, you read books together, you go for walks together, you go for drives together, you sit down and, my goodness, you sit down and have meals together. I'm embarrassed to say this, but there were times when Carrie and I, you know, in summer months with baseball and things going on, where we'd have dinner together two nights in a row as a family, and the kids, we're going to eat together again? Listen to me. This is not something you can skip. And parents, we'll talk more about this in later weeks. Ask the praise team to come back up and prepare to close this out. But parents, this is something you need to understand. It's unfair. It's not fair. But listen, it's yours. A child's picture of who God is is going to be framed by you. A child's first experience with who God is. Now, some of you have kids that are a little older, and you'll have to navigate this differently, but if you've got kids that are younger, my age, younger, listen, their first understanding of who God is is framed by their parents. Okay, and we'll get into this in future weeks as we, as we kind of navigate through this, but their picture of who God is and what God demands usually comes from Dad. The righteousness, the holiness, the what, what God demands usually comes from Dad. It's unfair, but it is what it is. That's the way it works. That's the way God's designed the family to function. Okay, The nurturing part of God, this, this, the love and compassion and the coming alongside, we usually understand how God operates that um, from our relationship with moms. We'll talk more in, in the coming weeks about why that's so critical, but this is a big deal. You need to be intentional. So as we sing, I'm gonna ask you to be singing with us and thinking about a couple of things. One is, I'm gonna challenge you. If Jesus is not your main priority, then fix it. I know I'm supposed to say something clever and do whatever and be like, oh, encourage. Fix it. Just fix it. Nothing else works. You can ignore everything else if you're not willing to fix that. Two, okay? You need a commitment to make time with your kids a priority. If you don't have kids at home, then you need to make commitment to spend time um, on the phone or reaching out to your kids that aren't at home or to your grandkids or... (sighs) or to somebody else's kids that have invited you in. I mean, don't stalk other people's kids. That's weird. <laughs> but assuming that you have kids that have invited you in, reach out. You know what? Talk to the school. You know what? Find, find, we've got plenty of teachers here. Find somebody to read with. Go to school. If you've got some time, read with somebody. Just commit to some intentional time. You know what? So we've all got something to do there. And make prayer. Listen, in your bulletins... And if you didn't get one, there's a a thing back here that's got on on the side that's got plenty of these prayer cards in it. I want to ask you to commit to daily prayer for your kids. At least, I mean forever, but at least throughout the course of this series. I want to ask you to commit to daily prayer for your kids. And if you're not sure how to pray for your kids, use in those prayer cards, there's prompts for those. Use those prompts. Pray for your kids. Your kids are out of the house, you pray for them anyway. You got grandkids, you pray for them. You don't have any of those, Pray for my kids. You pray for somebody else's kids. Okay? In the next coming weeks, I'll be giving you a list of kids in the church. So now I'm asking you to pray for your kids or the kids that are connected with you. But in the coming weeks, I'm going to be asking you to step out in faith and to spend intentional time in prayer for the kids of the church. Okay? We're all connected as a body. Okay? All right. Would you pray with me? We'll close. And I just, again... And encourage you to get after it. Our kids are worth it. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the truth that you are the one and only God of the universe. We thank you for the truth that because of who you are, our lives are radically different. Our eternities are radically different. God, in this life, we have purpose, passion. We have a reason for living. We have a way to outlive ourselves. We We have a way to be about something bigger than us. And Father, more than that, we get to spend eternity with you, all because of what Jesus Christ has done. And Father, we we ask you to burn that truth in our hearts and help us chase after you more than anything else, to get plugged into a small group, to get plugged into a Sunday school, to get plugged into mops, to get plugged in somewhere to help us grow in that truth. And furthermore, God, after we get that growing, as we start to navigate making you the most important thing in our lives, we, we ask you to help us to raise this next generation. This is, listen, Father, we're in over our heads. I am in over my head. I don't know how to raise kids for the world that we live in. But you do. And so, Father, I ask you to help me be intentional with them. I ask you to help me find truth in the word and to find encouragement with other Christians who will help me. But but I ask you to protect my kids' heart. I ask you to protect the other kids' hearts as we try to navigate through this together. God, you love them and you've given them to us and we just thank you so much for that. We love you, we praise you, and we just ask for your continued grace, mercy, and blessings. Amen.